Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Killer Astrology. I'm your host, Laura, and I'm back on this Sunday with the second to last episode of season two of the podcast. After the next episode, I'll be moving on to season three, and I'll be back to every other week releases when that happens. I also have a goal that by the end of Gemini season, I will have my Patreon or a similar subscription service up and running. I understand that I'm kind of like the boy who cried wolf with this Patreon thing, but I'm really looking forward to getting that started. I've just been debating whether I want to use Patreon or a different service, so it's going to happen soon. It's definitely going to be Gemini season, and if you want to be the first informed about this release and other astrology news, including updates on upcoming episodes of Killer Astrology, go to lauracarryastrology.com and subscribe to my newsletter. I'll be sending out a new issue soon because we're actually about to move into Taurus season, which begins tomorrow on April 19th. Taurus season is all about comfort. Not in the sense that you should only be doing things that feel good, though you should do some of that, but in the sense of getting yourself situated. It's a time to focus on your foundation and your values and to get better acquainted with the structures that help you feel safe and secure. For the past couple years, Uranus, the planet of surprise and innovation, has been traveling through Taurus, shaking up our value systems and our financial systems, both personally and collectively. I mean, think about what happened with Robin Hood and the stock market. In the next couple of days, Venus, the planet of love, desire, and values, which rules Taurus, will be crossing paths with Uranus. Similarly, Mercury, the planet of communication, will meet with Uranus in a couple of days, and then the sun will follow suit. Because of these conjunctions with Uranus, you may see changes in your financial situation or in your relationships. You may see changes in the ways that you communicate or the way that you're thinking might be a little bit more electrified. And you also may see changes in the way you view and or express yourself. These changes may be subtle, or they could be big, depending on the makeup of your personal chart, but the key focus at this time is figuring out what's important to you and living those things, while also being open to change and reorientation. Venus is the planetary ruler of Taurus, and we've just defined Venus as the planet of love and desire. If we break it down really simply, Venus is the planet that helps us understand what we want, and along with other planets in the chart, it plays a role in how we get those things. We make decisions about what and who to either bring into or eliminate from our lives based on our Venus sign and Venus placement. It's no coincidence, given that we're entering Taurus season right now, that this case is very connected to Venusian themes of love and lust and desire. In today's episode, we're exploring the age-old tension between blood and water. It's been said that family connections are of greater importance than the bonds of friendship and even of love. But for some, that's not always the case. This is the story of the Colombo family and the twisted alliance that tore them apart. Elk Grove Village is a small town situated just to the northwest of Chicago. It's a typical quiet suburb, which in 1976 was home to about 25,000 hardworking middle-class people. 
people whose worlds were completely rocked on May 7th when they learned of the hideous crime that took place right in their own backyards. Ray Rose, a young officer working for the Elk Grove Police Department, was the first to uncover the tragedy. He arrived at the Colombo family home at 55 Brantwood Ave after a car registered to that address was found abandoned in a Chicago parking lot. When he got to the home, he noticed that the front door was open, and mail was just starting to pile up on the front porch. But those little clues didn't prepare him for what he would find inside. The bodies of three members of the Colombo family. Frank, the patriarch of the family who managed a local auto body shop, had been shot four times in the back of the head while on his way up the stairs. Mary, Frank's wife, lay dead in the hallway. She had also been shot, the bullet entering the space right between her eyes. When police went upstairs, they found the body of Frank and Mary's 13-year-old son, Michael, who had been stabbed not once, not twice, but 93 times in the torso. All of the bodies displayed multiple gruesome injuries that could indicate either intense bloodlust or extreme rage, but initial clues as to who had carried out this crime and why were unclear. The scene of the crime had been staged to appear like a home invasion. A few valuables had been removed from the home, but it didn't quite add up. For one, the diamond ring on Mary's finger was still in place when her body was found. Questions began to circulate. Was this the product of random gang violence, a drug-fueled robbery, or even a targeted mob hit? The questions were running through everybody's minds, but nothing seemed quite right. To find the answers to all of their questions, police had to look in the direction of what they hadn't found at the scene, or rather, who they hadn't found. Once their attention shifted in this direction, it wasn't long before two suspects emerged. Patricia Ann Colombo was the daughter of Frank and Mary Colombo. She was born on June 21, 1956, in Chicago, Illinois. And she had a zero-degree cancer son, which made her sensitive yet manipulative when she wanted or needed to be, and a 13-degree Sagittarius moon, which gave her a confident and audacious temperament. Patricia was 19 years old in 1976 and was three years out of high school, having dropped out when she was 16 to waitress at a local coffee shop. She was six years older than her brother Michael and had a relatively strained relationship with her parents who, like any parents of an energetic and headstrong 16-year-old girl, disapproved of some of the decisions she made and of some of the people she chose to spend time with. But Patricia was stubborn. With a one-degree Venus conjunct her zero-degree cancer son, she was programmed to go all in when she identified something she desired. This aspect, this conjunction, also made love and relationships a pretty central force in her life, although with Venus retrograde, she didn't always make the best decisions in love. Not long after she started working at the coffee shop, Patricia met a man. Frank DeLuca was a pharmacist at the Walgreens next door, and he would come into the shop at lunchtime, sit at Patricia's table, and strike up a conversation. 
Frank was also a Cancer son. He actually had a stellium in Cancer, which included Chiron, the Sun, the Moon, Mercury, Mars, and Pluto. So it's no surprise that Patricia was attracted to him, given that her Venus was attracted to all of that Cancer energy. Frank was charming. He was good-looking. He was mature, much more mature than Patricia. Frank was 35 when the two met, just eight years younger than Patricia's own father, and he had just as many responsibilities, if not more, to tend to. Frank was a father of five, his oldest child the same age as Michael Colombo, and he was married. Still, he carried around a weighty reputation of sexual deviance, and he quickly brought his new girlfriend along for the ride. Patricia has Saturn opposite Venus in her birth chart, which explains why she was attracted to such an older man, 18 years older to be exact, since that aspect can frequently be associated with a big age gap in relationships, Saturn tends to represent older people. Both of these opposing planets also square a tight conjunction between Jupiter and Pluto in Leo, giving her a big inclination towards all things taboo, especially sexual things. Pluto is a little more than risque, living on the darker side of life, and Jupiter makes those things important elements of experiential learning. Frank was a good teacher in this arena. He also happened to naturally heighten Patricia's sense of desire, with his natal Jupiter conjunct her Mars, which is the signifier of her drive and passion in terms of sexuality, anger, and more. His Jupiter was also trine to her natal Venus, activating her lust and desire. With a planetary combination like this, Patricia and Frank could certainly prove to be a match made in hell. When Frank Colombo found out that his daughter was dating an older man, he was understandably unhappy. It's unclear exactly how much he knew about his daughter's relationship. Did he know about the explicit photographs, the group sexual encounters, the swinging, and the other unusual practices? Was he aware of just how much Frank DeLuca's proclivities triggered Patricia's illicit behavior? Maybe and maybe not, but either way he disapproved and he made no attempt to hide his opinions. It wasn't long before Patricia moved out of her parents' house and in with her older boyfriend and his family staying in an extra room while presumably working with Frank to get started in a modeling career. After almost a year of living with her boyfriend, his wife, and their five kids, Patricia left her strange arrangement and went home to her father, telling him that she'd ended things with Frank and wanted to move out on her own. Her father pledged to help her, fronting the bill for an apartment in Lombard, which is a few miles south of Elk Grove Village. To his surprise and dismay, Frank DeLuca soon found his way back into Patricia's heart and into her new apartment, toting a handful of random sexual partners along with him. When Patricia's father learned what was going on, he was a few notches above furious, and he confronted Frank DeLuca in a parking lot, knocking out a few of his teeth with the wooden end of a rifle. This incident sent him to jail for assault, and worse, opened the door for retaliation the aftermath of which was uncovered on a seemingly normal Spring Friday by Officer Ray Rose. So what happened between Frank Colombo's stint in jail and the Colombo family murders? After the violent confrontation between Frank Colombo and Frank DeLuca, Patricia was enraged. 
she began talking to friends about wanting to kill her father and went on the search for a hitman. It's rather shocking to think that a 19-year-old woman could jump from disagreeing with her parents to murdering them. Then again, you may say that teenage emotions are pretty extreme, but on top of that, Patricia had a configuration in her birth chart that's present in many of the most brutal killers that we've discussed in this podcast. Along with the likes of Ted Bundy and Ed Gein and a couple more, Patricia has her moon in the second decan of Sagittarius. If you've been with me from the beginning, you know that finding this common trait was really exciting to me, and I'm pretty excited to see more evidence of the connection here. Mostly, I'm excited because this demonstrates that we can't be thinking so black and white about Jupiter. It's not always lucky and positive and happy like we've been taught to believe. As I've mentioned before, Mars is quote-unquote in charge of the second decan of Sagittarius, and Sagittarius is ruled by Jupiter. The result of this placement is expanded emotional impulsivity. Emotions coming from the moon, impulsivity coming from Mars, and expansion coming from Jupiter. The impulsivity here was compounded by the fact that Patricia's moon was also square to her Pisces Mars, and this created quick emotional responses and a drive to escape from emotionally undesirable situations, because as we know, Pisces is a little bit of an escape artist. Patricia was also a victim of childhood trauma and was sexually assaulted by her godfather for years when she was growing up. This fact is super important to mention because it adds to the inherent difficulties outlined in her natal chart and undoubtedly contributes to her emotional difficulties. This is where nurture comes into the nature of the birth chart. Patricia planned to trade her body and $20,000 that she would get from her parents' estate to pay someone to carry out the killings. But after being tricked into an arrangement with a used car salesman who was, in fact, not a hitman, she and her much older boyfriend decided to handle the situation on their own. They schemed quietly, generating ideas for covering their tracks and staying under the radar. Then they carried out their plan. On May 4, 1976, Patricia and Frank entered Patricia's family home. Frank toted a gun, and Patricia got her hands on a knife, and it appears they wasted no time getting to their attack. Each member of the family was shot in the head and also suffered an additional trauma. Frank Colombo was beaten with a bowling trophy, Mary had her neck slit, and Michael, as we know, was stabbed multiple times in his torso, front and back. On the day of the attacks on all three of her immediate family members, Patricia's naturally reckless moon and emotionally unstable Mars were activated by a couple of important transits. First, Jupiter was at 9 degrees Taurus, exactly sextile Patricia's 9 degree Pisces Mars. We already know that Jupiter makes things bigger, and we also know that Mars, the warrior among the planets, really likes to fight, and in this case would do so to eliminate a situation it didn't like. While sextiles are generally thought of as positive aspects, it is possible to use them negatively, especially in this case where Jupiter was creating a sense of overconfidence and making it easier to access those less beneficial urges like the one to express anger in a really violent way. The other thing about this sextile which made it violent was that it was connected to Pluto, lord of the underworld, which was again at 9 degrees but in Libra. That made transiting Pluto quincunx Patricia's natal Mars, 
And this created a really violent impulse and added a sinister brutality to her methods of fighting and killing. But Patricia had not acted alone. She had acted with Frank, and the connection between these two is really interesting considering their astrology. There's one aspect of their synastry in particular that helps me understand their connection, and it's that Frank's Pluto was at 29 degrees Cancer, conjunct to Patricia's zero-degree Leo Uranus. Both of these planets speak to the unconscious connection between the two parties we're investigating. Pluto, along with signifying taboos and sex, is also connected to power and repression. Uranus, on the other hand, is connected to rebellion, individuation, and movements towards seizing freedom. When you combine these two planets in the synastry here, you have two people, impulsively Uranus, acting on a goal to seize power, Pluto, over a situation for liberation. Liberation from repression and liberation from not feeling free. Frank's Pluto brought out repressed anger, violence, and feelings of powerlessness, and Patricia's Uranus was the fuel for responding to those discomforts in a way that would result in freedom, at least what they perceived would be freedom. After carrying out their killings, Patricia and Frank DeLuca removed some valuables from the home and left with the family car, later parking it in a lot in the inner city to throw off investigators who would suspect gang violence. They also disposed of the gun and the knife somewhere along the way, and to this day the murder weapons have not been found. On May 10th, just six days after the murders took place and three days after the bodies were found, Patricia was seen kneeling in front of her slain family's coffins at their funeral. But her acting skills just weren't strong enough to keep police off her back for long. On May 17th, she was arrested, and a couple months later, her partner in crime was taken into custody as well. Patricia and Frank stood trial in 1977. Both pled not guilty, but neither was successful in their attempt to go free. On May 18, 1977, one year and one day after Patricia's arrest, she and her accomplice were convicted. On July 1st, the sentences were given. 200 years in prison for Patricia and 300 years for Frank. Since her conviction in the late 70s, Patricia has applied for parole at least 13 times, but she's been denied at each attempt. It wasn't until 1987, 10 years after her conviction, that she admitted to her role in the brutal killings of her mother, father, and brother, though she doesn't give details because she states she doesn't remember the attacks. In the 1990s, she received a bachelor's degree and started a tutoring program at the Dwight Correctional Center, where she's serving out her sentence. She has been in the Illinois prison system longer than any other female inmate, and it's likely that she will remain there until her death. Before I sign off, I want to confirm that I use Placidus houses for all episodes of this podcast. I always use Placidus here, even though in my personal practice, I use both Placidus and Holcine and also Draconic. But here it will always be Placidus, and if I'm not using Placidus, I will let you know. For this episode, I actually didn't use houses at all, and it's not because I didn't have Patricia's birth time. It's because of a strange situation that I might explain one day on my Patreon or whatever subscription service I use, so stay tuned for that. To keep up to date on all things Killer Astrology and Laura Carey Astrology, go to lauracarryastrology.com and sign up for the newsletter. Before you go today, please consider leaving a five-star rating on your podcast platform. 
I'll be back soon with another episode of Killer Astrology. Until then, remember, people may lie, but the stars never do. Thank you.